Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am doing pretty well. It's just been a crazy busy week, but uh, that's okay. I guess being busy is a good problem to have. Sometimes, anyway. Sometimes, at least. When we were here last week, we talked about the Rittenhouse case as one of the two uh, two legal matters that we covered last week. And I guess we thought we'd have a verdict this week, but the, the jury is still out, as they say. Um, I did they get the case yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon? It was yesterday morning. Okay, so they, they've had two full days now to discuss or analyze or whatever it is that they're doing in that jury room. That's... Uh, I think that's surprising to a lot of people, but um, you'll recall one of the most, the more recent quote unquote celebrity trials was the Manafort trial um, back, uh, I guess it's been about a year, maybe 18 months. Um, he was charged with eight counts of um, essentially white collar crimes related to his service as uh, the agent, if you will, of a foreign country and whether he had registered. And then there were some income tax issues uh, for not reporting certain certain amounts of income, as I recall. But that, that jury took four days to convict him uh, or did to render a verdict on the eight counts. I don't remember how many counts he got convicted of. Um, the one thing I would say, never think that you know what a jury is going to do, much less win. No, that's absolutely true. And, you know, my thoughts about this are that juries try to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is often a very methodical approach to the case because the judge will instruct the jury or the judge did instruct them in this case. But in every case, they'll, they'll be instructed that the prosecution has to prove every element of every charge beyond a reasonable doubt. So if the jury decides to take every charge and get through each of the elements, they will consider all the evidence for each element. It just takes a while. That's right. And, and you, you know, you, you tell them to do that when you first talk to them or the judge does or both. And then constantly throughout jury selection. Uh, and then, as you say, you know, the judge tells the jury at every at every recess you know, don't begin to deliberate. Don't don't make up your minds. Keep an open mind. And then, when charging them, and then the lawyers argue, um, and and, and you, you know, you, you tell them once you go in the jury room, you know, you do you then begin to uh, consider all this. So you know, sometimes, and and I hope it is in this case that they're actually um, staying true to their oath, and and they're talking about all, all this stuff. And, and they're 12 people. It just takes a while. Look yeah. how long you and I talk about nothing, basically. Absolutely. It can take but do you forever. understand this process of choosing a jury at random, as they seem to do in Wisconsin? No, I don't. I mean, I, I, what they did was they picked 18 people who all sat there and listened as if they're going to be go back in the room. And then they picked 12. Uh, and I don't know whether they picked 12 or they picked six, but they picked 12 to actually be the jurors, and the other six turned out to be alternates and were excused. That's not how we do it here in this state. You know, we, we pick 12 and either two alternates or four alternates or one alternate or whatever the judge thinks, unless it's a capital murder case uh, or, or a serious matter. Uh, and, and the alternates know that they're an alternate from, from the get-go. And, and honestly, I, I think the more I consider the way they do it in Wisconsin – 
I kind of like that because it it should force you to listen, you know, intently uh, and carefully throughout. Whereas I, you know, I've always worried that, you know, particularly if you have four alternates, the chance and you have alternate number one, alternate number two, three, four. Right. So if you so if you're number four, the yeah, odds are you're not going to get. You're never going to. So I think people tend not to listen as as intently or as closely, and and you know, and then all of a sudden something happens. Uh, and you find yourself in the jury room, uh, and you had your brain turned off for a good chunk of the time. So, I kind of, I kind of like that approach, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's interesting. I will say about this Rittenhouse case that the uh, one one development today, the defense moved for a mistrial. They their their claim is that the prosecution sent them video evidence from the drone that was overhead, which was of a lower quality than what the state then brought into trial. And I think the prosecution admits that. They try to say it was some accident. They compressed the video or something, and and that's how it happened, which is not a very good explanation as far as I'm concerned. But I think the prosecution has had problems in this case throughout. And so it's kind of interesting that the motion for mistrial at this point is based on uh, the video just being um, kind of shady. I agree with you, Ed. Um, and, and you know, there's even some speculation that uh, by, by some people, and, and, and frankly, I think they're, they're, they're non-legal people, but, but it's an interesting perspective that perhaps some of the blunders, if you will, that the, the, that the state has been um, credited with might have been intentional because they realized that they made uh, they didn't have a good case or they hadn't prepared it properly or whatever, and they were trying to get a mistrial declared. I don't think that's true. I, I think, first of all, that would take some big, great big giant brass ones. Uh, secondly, um, I think it is contrary to the oath that each took as an attorney and as a district attorney. Um, and, and, and so I think it's problematic on a lot of levels. Um, but it, 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 it shocked me because from what I understand, and I, I watched very briefly the discussion about the um, compressed uh, video, it, it was sent via an, an Android cell phone from the assistant DA, that sort of the, the portly fella, um, to one of the lawyers on the uh, defense team. I was shocked that it was sent via via cell phone. They first were talking about text, but it sounds like it actually went via email. But, you know, I would think in a case of this magnitude, especially as the as the district attorney, you'd want a paper trail from, from where you provided this video in case there's ever any issue. Yeah, it's um, a murder trial yeah, of all uh, things. With, with the whole country and even the world watching. Um, and, and the, you know, they didn't even send it until Saturday when the evidence was closed. I find that hard to believe. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we still have not seen the HD FBI drone, uh, video footage, um, because it was quote unquote lost by the FBI. Uh, so I, I think it's problematic on, on several levels. Um, my understanding from uh, earlier in the case, you know, we've been going on what two weeks now of, uh, this is the, is this the second week? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, yeah. Since they really started getting into it. Yeah. There was some testimony and some argument and some commentary that I, that I remember from earlier on where there is video footage of Kyle Rittenhouse and, and the video footage is somewhat grainy and the 
the the implication or the argument was it shows him doing something untoward with his rifle. And then there was this um, better version in which you can see that whatever he's doing, he's actually not doing it with a rifle. It's a, a power line or a guy wire or something behind him that looks like a rifle in the grainy footage, but not in the, in the improved footage. And, you know, I don't know whether that's this video or not. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, uh, the state would, uh, play the good stuff and not give it to the defense. I, I just, I don't understand how that happens. I also, I heard, as I said, watched briefly during lunch, the lady with the longer gray hair who tends to sit at the, uh, the head, if you will, of the defense counsel table. She doesn't sit behind it where the, the, the two main lawyers who've actually argued to the, to the, to the jury sit. She sits kind of at the head of the, uh, of the table off to the side. And and she made an argument, and I'll make sure I get this right now, that the video that they sent on Saturday had a different um, uh, uh, file name. And it, it did not look like something that came from a drone. She apparently is techno technologically very savvy. It didn't look like what you would expect from uh, a drone uh, camera because that has lots of letters and numbers related to where the drone is, the date, the time, the coordinates, uh, longitude, latitude, that kind of thing. This didn't have that. So, you know, they were saying this is so different from what we had, and it looked like something different. Um, but, but more importantly, th this second video or second version has been enhanced using artificial intelligence. And there's some program, I guess you'd call it, that, that they use some particular program. And that program in the, uh, for, for um, I guess for people like me that aren't technologically savvy, the, the operating instructions, if you will. I think it's, I think you would refer to it as the algorithm. Okay. But, so but it's the, the algorithm for the program is how it works. Okay. But, but the, the instructions say, you can't you this should not be used for forensic purposes in a court it can be used for investigative purposes but not for forensic purposes and she made that point and i thought oh my lord that's huge and then they just moved right on and and of course as i said i was somewhat busy this afternoon and didn't get a chance to to keep up with it but i don't know that that was ever returned to and it seems to me that's just I mean, that's a nuclear bomb kind of a event, if that's true. It'd be interesting to hear more about that. But I don't know, typically in terms of evidence that can be introduced in court, it's the judiciary that makes a decision whether it meets the reliability standard. Right. So that, that every court has said, for example, polygraphs are not admissible in court. They're simply not reliable enough. Right. So it would be interesting to know whether or not or or what decision would be made by judges because this program or the instructions say it's not for these purposes. They could just disregard that if they want to. Right. And um, and, and they certainly could. And it's but it certainly would carry a lot of weight, I would think, in, in terms of it a goes court to, making uh, that decision. It goes know, to credibility probably. Right. Um and, and and I don't know the answer to this. You may is is Wisconsin a Daubert state? As far as I know, it is. 
So but I haven't specifically looked at that. Now, you know, there was an interesting question that came up about photographic evidence. I guess it was last week because the state wanted to enlarge evidence to show that he was pointing his gun in a particular direction. Did you hear this testimony? Yeah. Um, but there was a question about the software that they're using to enlarge the photograph, and it would insert pixels into the now open space as you expand the photograph. And so what does the algorithm say about those pixels? Are they the same color as the shirt? Are they the same color as the gun? Are they the same color as something else that's with in the photograph adjacent to the gun? That was a fascinating conversation. Yeah. And I, I think that ultimately the judge said, you know, it goes to, it goes to weight and not admissibility. Um, it was very interesting. Uh, you know, with, with the people who wonder if this was done by, you know, any of this was on purpose. Uh, there's, there's an old saying, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. And that just kind of seems appropriate here because I think some of the arguments the prosecution has been making have just been unbelievable. Uh, their closing argument was essentially, you know, he brought a, a gun to a fist fight and that he'd lost the right to self-defense because he had a gun. And, and, you know, those kinds of arguments, it's just hard to imagine that flies. And ultimately, the state needs 12. The defense only needs one. That's right. And you've got to think, and I, I'm, I'm on you know, uh, we kind of I started with never predict what a jury is going to do, much less win. But, but you got to think that that there's one juror who's with the state or the defense. You mean. That's what I mean. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, old prosecutors have it. Yeah, you you got to think that 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 there's at least one juror on the side of the state. I mean, the defense. I can't. I can't. It's old habits die hard. I'm sorry. So, uh, you know, do you think we get a verdict tomorrow? Well, yeah, every day you've got to think the odds go up. So yeah. if it's the third day, then the odds are getting pretty high that the verdict's going to come back. Yeah, I saw some speculation, and, and this was – I don't even know that it wasn't, you know, tongue-in-cheek. But uh, some guy said that um, uh, the judge was withholding – basically dismissing the case, uh, declaring a mistrial with prejudice because he hoped the jury would bail him out. And the jury was now withholding a verdict because they hoped the judge would bail them out by dismissing the case or declaring a mistrial with prejudice. Uh, you know, and, and, and that sounds trite, and I suppose that it is. But um, uh, these uh, commentators on TV are—they're um, uh, enjoying all this speculation and, and ability to. Uh, As are these commentators on podcast. Uh, some of them, yes, absolutely. Um, so, so we, we view it as a duty to our listeners rather than an opportunity to show off or grandstand or what have you. A sacred duty, I might add. I, absolutely. I agree with you. So that's the big story this week. What else is in the news that's caught your attention? Well, I guess uh, this morning the, um, the, the news, uh, it sort of was talked about some yesterday, but it seems to have kind of blown up overnight. The news that, uh, and, and you and I had discussed this, I think, last week on our show, and then and then uh, subsequent to that, um, there's a whistleblower within the FBI who has accused uh, the Attorney General of having lied to uh, the Congress when he testified 10 days, two weeks ago, uh, wherein he said that uh, he had not had any 
contact or, or, or direction uh, from the White House with regard to the letter from the National School Boards uh, Association in, in which he responded or to which he responded with his memorandum that was crafted over the weekend very quickly that, that indicated that he was directing uh, the FBI and other federal law enforcement agencies to um, investigate uh, parents at school board meetings um, as potential domestic terrorists and were using uh, and, and were able to use essentially uh, tools provided by the Patriot Act uh, to, to do so. And, and that's, uh, I mean, if that had been President Donald Trump or President Richard Nixon, I mean, it would be all we hear about. Uh, but because it's Democrat, president and so forth uh it's not gotten the splash that it i think deserves well and the tool as i understand it is something within the fbi i've heard it referred to as a tag where they essentially tag people individuals because of things that they've said done or written uh, i almost included thought but i don't think they're doing that yet not yet but they essentially put a tag on them so that they're persons of interest, if not some unique category. Right. And, it, and that tag allows various governmental agencies across the federal government spectrum to track, to monitor, to look at these folks um, via the computer. And, and then, you know, I guess if, if they feel it warranted, there are certain Patriot Act Provisions that allow for wiretap, easier wiretaps and mm-hmm. and um, uh, things of that nature. Although those are supposed to be against under the Patriot Act against uh, foreign citizens or, or, or foreign individuals, not American citizens. But uh, well, and it's unclear what other measures might be taken. And and not to, to exaggerate this to too much of an alarmist position, but can you put somebody on a no-fly list because they belong to a Facebook group where they were criticizing their local school board? Right. I, I would like to say, no, you can't. But, but you we know, know you can. Well, we because do. Of, and, and There's frankly, no way to get off the, the no-fly list. I mean, there's nobody that rubber stamps it or there's nobody that, that says, no, you got to take Ed Yeager off the no-fly list. It's, it's totally an executive branch decision. And frankly, you know, Merrick Garland, the, the attorney general, has now been checked on it by Congress, or at least certain members of Congress. Uh, the one letter I saw was from Jim Jordan, who's the ranking member of the uh, House Judiciary Committee. And he's accusing him of giving incomplete or even false testimony when he appeared in Congress a few weeks ago. And I have to say that when I saw Garland testify... He didn't come off as really knowing what was going on very much. And I don't know if he was feigning ignorance, um, but he didn't appear to be that sharp. Not like we would have expected a no. nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court to be. Uh, now, you know, maybe he's somewhat new in the office. I don't know, but he didn't really seem to have a clue what's going on if he was being honest. So, yeah, I, I totally sure agree with that. that. Totally agree with that. Um and and it's going to be interesting to watch this play out. What what are you watching? Keeping an eye on. Gosh, you, you you threw me for a loop there. What am I watching? Well, normally you ask me, and I feel bad because you know. So I thought I'd, I'd jump the gun and 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 ask you what you got your eye on. 
Well, you know, there are a couple of things that are fascinating right now. One is that the numbers from uh, Customs and Border Protection came out recently. Uh, I guess they came out within the last few days for October encounters at the southern border, southwest border, basically. And the numbers are down a little bit from the month before. But compared to October of 2020, they're up, you know, in triple figures. Um, And and as I parse through those numbers, I'm always reminded that the number only captures the numbers of encounters that they've recorded. So who knows how many people have have not been, you know, even counted in these numbers that have slid through otherwise, because there's also been some stories recently about how many Border Patrol agents are out of work right now because of threatened vaccine mandates, because of COVID outbreaks, et cetera. So they're not at full strength. And that's been reported on various times for, for weeks and weeks. So I think that situation continues. The other the other thing that's in the news recently is this story about uh, the relationship between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and, and apparently significant problems between the presidential staff and the vice presidential staff. And I just I find it really interesting to see how how that's going downhill quickly. Yeah, CNN and the Washington Post sort of blew that up uh, Monday morning, I guess. And and uh, was it yesterday that they had the signing uh, ceremony for the um, um, the infrastructure? Now, or was that, that was Monday? on Monday? The, yeah, the bipartisan infrastructure. And and they made a big deal. Jen Psaki, uh, I guess she tweeted. Uh, either Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, refuting the CNN Washington Post story, which, I mean, the fact that the presidential, the White House press secretary would have to say that it's not true that they don't get along, um, sort of confirms that there are tr- there's troubled waters uh, within the West Wing of the White House. But um, at the ceremony, they, they the commentators on on the news. Uh, basically, the the or media in general said, you know, we're going to keep an eye on how this is occurs and how it's handled because of the story, and the vice president will be there and is speaking, um, and they expected them to be very, you know, almost touchy feely and, and and obsequious in their um, smiles and pats on the back and so forth, and and of course when. Harris is getting uh, ready to make her remarks. She's introduced, and I forget the name of the person that they said it was, but it was somebody I'd never heard of. And she giggled and said, you know, that person. But not yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, something like that, which I think was really the only thing she could do. And I, I think, quite frankly, she, she handled it as well as she could. But, you know, it's that kind of thing that uh, it seems to me has uh, – has disturbed her staff, and then the president's staff is disturbed by her, um, what they characterized as ineptness. Uh, you know, he appointed her to handle the border issue. She didn't like that because it seems to be intractable, and at least insofar as the Democrat base is concerned, there, there's nothing to be done by a Democrat 
office holder, and she hasn't even gone to the border, and we've talked about that. And, you know, they sent her uh, to France to mend fences with uh, the French government, and um, apparently that didn't happen. Uh, and so they're upset with the president and feeling like uh, she's kind of getting the dirty end of the stick with uh, responsibilities and tasks. So I th- I agree with you. I think it's fascinating to watch how this plays out, the the speculation. Did you see the story about uh, from Chad Pegram? Uh, no. Well, I, I maybe I don't know what, what. Which one are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I've read this. Breitbart was reporting it a few days ago. Uh, Chad Pegram, Fox News reporter, said the other night that he had received an email a few weeks ago. Did not see this from a uh, source that he considers an insider on Capitol Hill. He wouldn't say who it was, but he considered it a reliable person. And the email said to him, and I'm quoting, Chad, start to familiarize yourself with the confirmation process, just not in the Senate, but the House for a new vice president. Oh, my gosh, I did not see that. Who knows what that means? I don't know who the source is or anything, but Chad Pegram's a good reporter. And he's saying someone who's on the inside told him he ought to start looking at that process. Now, that doesn't mean it ever goes anywhere, but that might be an indication that there were some insiders who realized how unpopular the vice president is, and, yeah. and they're looking at uh, options. Yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty clear that, that she's toxic, both within the White House, within the party, and within the nation as a whole. And and she is um, concerned that um, the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, is being sort of pumped up by the Biden camp to potentially take her place. I, I really don't think that's the case because I think if, if you thought he was of presidential timber, you don't make him Secretary of Transportation. Um, that, that seemed to me to be a, a way to pay a political debt and perhaps give him a boost for another job down the road that might um, help his his status as a presidential contender. I don't think you go from Secretary of Transportation to Vice President, but when has Joe Biden in the last 11 months done e- or 10 months done anything that we thought he would do, should do, or could do? Uh, so who knows what's going to happen? Certainly not I. So what's our new radar for the next week? Well, uh, obviously the this Rittenhouse thing and, and then the uh, the Merrick Garland situation. But, but one interesting thing this uh, I saw um, last week the um, – Governor of Oklahoma uh, removed the uh, the tag, the adjutant general, which is the state commander of a state's National Guard. I guess that's the way I want to say it. Uh, but removed the adjutant general of the Oklahoma National Guard um, over the vaccine mandate that had come down from, from what I'll call Big Army uh, in D.C. and pointed a new tag and that person uh, is a two. It's a two-star slot, um, and has now rescinded and said, I, "We will not enforce the federal government's Department of Defense's uh, vaccine mandate uh, within uh, the Oklahoma National Guard." Uh, today, I read that there was um, comment. There were comments from a spokesman at either Department of the Army or Department of the Defense saying that, uh, or essentially threatening that if the state of Oklahoma persisted 
in uh, its um, efforts to, uh, you know, um, avoid the vac- the COVID vaccine mandate that the uh, federal government would 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 pull its uh, federal recognition of the Oklahoma National Guard, uh, and I think that is personally f- going to be fascinating to watch because there are all sorts of implications. Um, should the should the army refuse to recognize um, the uh, the Oklahoma National Guard? I mean, even down to whether or not the uh, it affects the members of the guard's retirement um, and uh, their promotions and 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 all sorts of things that that are that, that kind of flow down to the individual soldiers, much less uh, the the monetary or the financial impact that it would have on. The state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that is interesting, and and uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of t- differences between the guard and uh, other military forces. And I, I don't I couldn't summarize it all here, but essentially, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines fall under Title Ten of the U.S. Code. The guard falls under Title Thirty Two, and they're under the command of the governor through the state adjutant general. Um, but there's so much money that flows from the federal government because they can engage in deficit spending that the states rely on that money. That's right. And, and that includes for the local things like, you know, tornadoes or hurricanes here in North Carolina or whatever other natural disaster might befall a state. Or for that matter, even in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where they've called up 500 guardsmen to be available for security after the Rittenhouse trial if something happens. So states rely on money from uh, the feds and you know, sometimes it comes with strings. So it's an interesting argument as to whether or not what they can do without losing some of those purse strings. Yeah. What else do you watch? Are you watching? That is it for me. Um, did you see that uh, the Duke basket, men's basketball coach, whose name I will not utter, um, his grandson and his star freshman recruit, uh, were charged with the grandson was charged with DWI and the star freshman was charged with uh, aiding and abetting of the DWI uh, over the weekend and um, they uh, they played last night and uh, they both played as I understand it and the star the freshman star started um, and I, I found that to be um, somewhat shocking uh, disappointing and we'll just leave that there. I yeah, I mean it's it's is the farewell tour, so we can't take any losses yeah. this year. I mean, you know, if, I, that's right. I guarantee, if we get into ACC season and and any game is you know close, that you know every network's going to break in to discuss the you know possible tragedy unfolding. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, they played Gardner Webb last night, and they won by forty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge, huge deal, but I do think it, it is important to set a standard and and expectations. And I think there need to be ramifications when when the standards are not met, particularly in that manner. And I, I would have expected at least a one game suspension and probably, you know, I would have thought that maybe suspend them through the end of the semester so that they would come back just before Christmas or something. It would be appropriate. But uh well, I think at least a one game or two game suspension yeah. would have been appropriate. But, but and, as and you to say, play, to play Gardner well, that is certainly a game where you could suspend your star player and probably yeah, still yeah. come out okay. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, it's the farewell tour, and um, he does not want to lose. Yeah. 
But yeah, I did see that story. I just I have to say that Duke basketball is never on my radar. No, it's 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 uh, and and, and uh, speaking of basketball, though, there was a story that we talked about a few weeks ago, and and then it just kind of slipped away. But the entire Kentucky men's basketball team has signed this uh, name, image, likeness endorsement type deal with a uh, NFT. Um, cryptocurrency type deal and i just found that kind of bizarre when the entire team is uh, going to receive money from the same uh i i guess i'll just say sponsor i don't know what else to call them yeah but are they playing for kentucky or are they playing for that that company and and you know i don't think it's unusual and they may be the first ones but i think it's going to happen in a lot of schools uh, it's just simply a byproduct of what we talked about weeks ago with what's happening in college sports. Yeah. And I don't like it. No, no, I agree with you. And, and you know, there was some kind of BS commentary, in my opinion, in that story about the Kentucky basketball team where the the sponsor of the company was saying that that one of the benefits of, of such an arrangement was that it was going to help these players learn uh, finances and how to manage money and so forth and so on. And of course, that's not anything about. I mean, it's not anything about that. It's about we want our name associated with Kentucky basketball, and we're willing to pay players to get it now that it's legal. And and you know that is what it is. And you and I don't like it, and a lot of people don't like it. But but at least be upfront about you know we're taking advantage of this new rule, and you know we hope to increase our market share as a result. Yeah, that's that's all it is. You know, I saw a story today about the. Uh, I guess it's the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and they've got a new, uh, a new sponsor, some uh, crypto company. Uh, the details are not public, but uh, someone suggested it was about seven hundred million dollars. So it's not going to be the Staples Center any longer. No, they're changing it. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like Ericsson Stadium is now Bank of America Stadium. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, we have to name everything. Do we want to talk about Cam Newton? Uh, you know, he's back with the Panthers. He, he apparently did really well the other day. And uh, I don't follow the NFL that much anymore, but uh, I think he has people excited in Charlotte, maybe throughout the Carolinas. Probably selling seats, uh, selling tickets, putting people in seats. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably all we need to say. Uh, NFL is not big in either of our lives anymore. All right, anything else on your list? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.